And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to the show. Of course, it is Tuesday. Technically speaking, Tuesday, that is. We've got actually a couple things going on. First of all, we do have a new article on the website this morning, Technically Speaking Tuesday. Uh, that is out now talking about where we are in the markets and particularly this idea that performance is now a guarantee. Um, there's, of course, the, all, the all-time disclaimers that past performance is no guarantee of future results. Well, investors have now changed that to say, well, obviously because of the Fed, what's happened in the past will continue to happen in the future. That's the topic of our article today on the website. Um, Topic of the show this morning here as I continue to struggle with my mic. (laughs) Um, China cracking down on social media and now education. And there's a lot of views out now right now that, well, that's just anti-capitalist. Those darn communists, right? That's not necessarily the case is what is going on here. And we're going to get into that a little bit this morning here on the show, talking about is China actually doing something that maybe we should be thinking about here in the U.S. as they look at the impact of social media and spiraling education costs on the the health and wealth of their population and their economy. So, um, you know, it's it's easy to quickly dismiss this out of hand as saying, well, those uh, communists are just don't want capitalism. That's not actually the case at all. Um, if you actually dig into down, you know, kind of dig underneath the surface of actually what they're doing and what they're trying to change. Um, also. Home ownership, uh, that was a thing that actually built this country, right? Um, when people came here in, in the 1800s from overseas, they came here to you know, get a piece of property, right? Land ownership was what was really the driver here. And you know, to own a piece of land, that made you a citizen of the US. So you know, home ownership has been a real key component of individuality, capitalism, prosperity, and really the recognition of success uh, in the country. And and we've changed that over the years and used to be is that when you were able to buy a house, that was when you could afford it. And it kind of represented that you had kind of achieved stability in the economy. And then you were able to afford to own your own house, your own piece of property. Um, We've changed that in recent years, of course, as we continue to offer, you know, ultra low interest rates and giving people mortgages they really can't afford to get them to the homes they can't afford, uh, all for the sake of trying to make a buck, right? Well, it's interesting now, this whole idea has now morphed back into a structure to where now corporations like BlackRock are buying thousands upon thousands of properties. And this idea, of course, that, well, America should be a nation of renters, not a nation of homeowners. As we continue to migrate more and more into a system that takes away individual property rights, et cetera. It's an interesting byline that's coming out of this whole process. And of course, lastly, as we kind of look into the markets here, that's kind of where we left off yesterday. Markets have, you know, really just kind of struggled here as of late. And this is particularly interesting because we're now starting to see real evidence of the economy beginning to perform a bit weaker 
than expected. Of course, ISM manufacturing numbers have come in here uh, a, a lot weaker here uh, just as of late. Hard data, right? Uh, the actual durable goods production in this country has been a lot softer than the expectations were. And of course, that is leading to concerns here because if we do get softer, weaker economic growth, which as we talked about in yesterday's article, is something that is occurring right now, um, that is going to lead to earnings estimates having to come down here over the course of the next really few months. Earnings estimates are way too high relative to what the economy could actually generate in earnings. And as we start to see the economy actually peak here, this has become a bit more problematic for the markets going forward. So again, as we kind of talk about where the markets are, we had this nice rally up. Uh, the buy signal that we that we triggered here a couple of weeks ago has been working its way through the system. It's, it's almost completely worked back through here, but yet the market really hasn't made much of a gain as we expected. Something we had talked about said that upside was fairly limited here has been the case. Uh, the market continues to kind of hold support right here at the 20-day moving average. But again, that's just really kind of been this whole mentality of the markets. It's been ultra low volatility, not a lot of movement. Uh, retest of the 50-day moving average have been very common this year, but yet it's been a very slow trend that's kind of grind higher in markets. And look, it's been an excellent year so far. I mean, if you stop the year right now, um, and looked out, we'd be talking about a 30% plus up year in the markets. Nothing to sneeze about at all in terms of performance. And that's several years. If you're banking on 6% a year in annualized gains, you've already banked in a couple of years worth of gains just this year so far. So again, nothing wrong with the markets right now, of course, but the expectations going forward, this is going to become a bit more of a risk. And that's also uh, you know, come back to this idea of quantitative easing, this whole idea that we discussed yesterday about past performance is now a guarantee of future results because of the Fed. There's not, there's something not quite right in the markets, right? We have the market continuing to do well here on expectations of booming economic growth and, and the fact that everything continues to just be uh, doing well, yet what we are watching here is 10-year Treasury rates continue to weaken here. Yesterday, big day down for yields dropping here. And of course, dropping yields, the yield curve continues to flatten. That is something that suggests that the economy is actually slowing down a whole lot more than even what maybe headline data suggests in the economy. And this is going to become problematic for the Fed, who coming up here in just really just a couple of weeks as they hit Jackson Hole for their annual confab of, of, of uh, central bankers around, from around the world, is going to be the discussion of what now, right? We're doing $120 billion a month in QE. We're, we've got zero interest rates, and yet interest rates are falling and the yield curve is flattening, suggesting that the economy is a lot weaker than expected. And that transmission system, right, all that liquidity being pumped into the economy is supposed to be going into making small business loans, making business loans, right, uh, getting people, getting that money into the economy to create economic prosperity. It's not happening, right? Uh, if you take a look at uh, uh, business investment as, as a function, it continues to weaken here. Uh, business uh, banking loans are, are basically flatlined. Uh, money, monetary velocity, how fast money is moving through the economy, is still declining. So again, no matter how you kind of look at it, the transmission system of all this liquidity remains broken. And the 10-year Treasury yield and the yield curve itself are telling you that something isn't quite right um, with all this liquidity. And this is going to be a real challenge for the Fed now because 
again, as, as they are seeing, and as they just mentioned here at their last press conference, you know, they are seeing improvement in the employment sector. As unemployment benefits roll off here over this month and next month, there's going to be a lot of people going out to seek jobs. We've got record job openings, right? Plenty of jobs for everybody. So again, we could see some very, very strong employment numbers here over the next couple of months for August and September as all those people go back to work. That's going to put the Fed in a tough box here about, well, we've got, you know, we've got maximum employment. We've got rising inflation. Technically, we need to be reducing and tapering quantitative easing. Start talking about hiking rates. But how can you do that when the 10-year Treasury itself is telling you that there's something not right in the economy? It's going to be a tough box, a tough trap for the Fed. But when we come back, we're going to talk about China. We'll talk more about the Fed. We'll talk about the housing, a nation of renters, really? All that coming up here on the show this morning, The Real Investment Show. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Shows for you six seventeen as we get the show underway. So China, China, China. It always seems to be the topic, you know, around the markets. Of, you know, what are they doing? Um, it's interesting, of course. Uh, this morning, Tencent will be down roughly about ten percent at the at the open of the bell today, as China is now cracking down on gaming. And it's interesting because. If you take a look at, uh, for instance, uh, Reuters uh, as a good example, uh, they had a statement saying that Beijing's latest attempt to rein in the excesses of capitalistic development and reassert the primacy of socialism came Tuesday in the form of a published Economic Information Daily, which offered up a scathing critique of China's video game industry and its impact on miners. So here's the point. Um, Everybody's looking at what China's doing right now. They're cracking down on social media. They're cracking down on video games and now tutoring, online tutoring, um, pay for education. And people are looking at this going, oh, well, that's just, that's just them being communist, right? They're cracking down on capitalism. That's not really what's going on. If you kind of look below the surface, they're making a decision about their future. And again, you know, one thing about the one thing that China does very well. And if you take a look at the decisions they've been making over the last 40 years, and they've become much more capitalistic and a much more uh, economic economy over the last 40 years, they have a tendency to look very far down the road and say, this is where we want to be in 30 years, 50 years, 70 years. And they make decisions based on these very long-range plans that they are looking out at. 
And so what's the one thing that we've talked about here on the show more than once? We've talked about the problem with video games and social media, how it's an addictive technology. And it reduces productivity. It actually makes people stupider. (laughs) Um, But it's something that people spend a whole lot of their time on when they should be doing or could be doing more productive things in society. And of course, uh, social media has its ills. I mean, you know, we have a country now that's more divided than ever, much of it because of social media, right? We all get in our little silos and we all tweet mean things at each other. And, you know, it's interesting. There was a, a guy the other day, he was making a comment. He said, he said, the problem with social media is this. He says, freedom of speech is very simple. I have the right to offend you. That's freedom of speech. And you have the right to be offended by what I say. That's the consequence of free speech. And that's your right to be offended by what I say. And what we're doing, and and if you watch what's happening with social media, social media is now censoring information because they don't agree with it. Uh, Alex Berenson uh, just recently published the results of a Pfizer test on COVID, on the COVID vaccine. And they suspended his account for publishing the results of the test. Now, why, you know, how is that the job of social media to censor free speech, which is your constitutional right? So China sees this. They want, they're watching what's going on here in, in the U.S. And it's interesting this morning, uh, headlines on the news is that there's surging crime waves in cities. Well, of course there is. You've, you've gone completely with social media. You've gone after the police. And now you've pushed these policies in major cities to reduce policing. So if you reduce policing, what do you expect was going to happen with crime? right? You didn't change the criminal behavior. You just reduced the security (laughs) to keep you from having criminal behavior. So this is what's going on, right? And so China's looking at this going, okay, these activities are not healthy for our economy. And now they're making some changes and they're cracking down on some of these, some of these things. Um, The article that was exerted, um, talked about the fact that there's anecdotal reports from teenagers who are spending up to eight hours a day playing the country's most popular game, Honor of Kings. The article sparked itself in shares of Tencent this morning, and they're the maker of Honor of Kings, and because they are now going to restrict. Now, Tencent is, is complying with China's request, China announced, uh, Tencent, sorry, announced strict new curbs for miners using its video game platforms. The company said it would further curb miners' access to the flagship video game, allowing them just one hour of play a day with two hours on holidays. Now, seems to me that this is mostly what parents of my generation do with their kids here you can play on the ipad for an hour you can play video games for an hour and then you need to go do something else you need to go outside and play you need to 
do something else, right? Younger generations, you know, we go, we talk about the fact, you know, we go to restaurants and, you know, we watch families at restaurants and it'll be the husband and the wife on their phones, the kids on an iPad and, and both kids on iPads, you know, while they're having dinner at a restaurant, rather than talking to each other, they're all on their devices. So what China is doing is just saying, hey, look, we need to just, you know, curb this a bit here because as Beijing announced, video games are spiritual opium. This is something that China is very familiar with. They had a huge opium academic, uh, epidemic uh, for quite some time. So the, the, the point here, though, is that we're, we're making decisions in the U.S. to do things that are not healthy. We're not making good, healthy decisions, right? Um, you know, we make jokes all the time about people sitting in their basements playing video games all day and all that. But it's, 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 while we joke about it, it's a serious problem. There's been more than one article out in just recent months talking about how young women are having a very difficult time finding ideal mates because the guys are sitting at home playing video games rather than working. You know, aspirations are becoming very different. Children are growing up now wanting to be YouTube stars and, and professional video game players versus, and again, if you're great at it, go for it, right? But like any sport, having that aspiration to do it and being successful at it are two very different things. But it's an easy route, right? I don't have to study to be excellent at playing video games. I just have to practice a lot. And it's fun to practice playing video games, right? I don't have to study. I don't have to go to school. I don't have to be productive to make videos. But if I can be successful at it, if I can come up with the gimmick that, that works, that gets people to watch my videos, great. I can make a lot of money at it, right? But what does that do for the long-term economic outlook for the economy, right? Economy is based upon two things, production and consumption, in that order, right? Not consumption first. We have to produce something first in order to consume, right? Even YouTubers. I'm going to be a YouTuber. That's great. I have to produce a YouTube first. I've got to get people to watch it so that I can get paid for it so that I can then go consume. We all have to produce first. And production is what drives economic growth long-term. So if you want economic prosperity, you need to do things to encourage productivity in the economy. China's long-term view is to become an economic domination of the world. And they're going to succeed at this eventually. You know, we're, we're very... Uh, in the U.S., we are we are very confident in our position in the world that uh, you know we will never be usurped as the authority of economic growth. We might be very surprised at what happens in 30 or 40 or 50 years by China. You know, it's, it's often people worry about the next war. Is that you know, we're gonna have this? We'll have this nuclear war with China and Russia and all this? No, we won't. <laughs> It'll be an economic war, and we'll lose. Because China is very focused on their long-term economic growth. And these decisions, while these decisions may seem like they are anti-capitalistic, right? Oh, they're coming down on social media and video games. 
and that's just terrible, right? They're just they're they're just being communists. Be careful with that. Maybe they are. Maybe they are just being communists and they want to control everything. Okay, maybe. But there's a side of this story that suggests that maybe, just maybe, they're being good parents to raise healthy children. The education thing is an example. Rich, rich people in China have been paying a lot for online tutoring and extra education for their children to make their children, give their children a, an edge in the world. And China's cracking down on that. They're saying, you, you know, those costs, those costs were spiraling out of control. They, they were having as much trouble with their education cost as we are having in the U.S. Different reasons, but having the same problem. It was, it was driving education out of the reach of a vast majority of the population. They're now working to change that. Why? Because they want a smarter population. They want a more educated population. They want more equality in their education so that all of their children have the best education. Spending more time learning. Just as a quick example, they spend about 2% of their annual revenue, of their annual incomes on housing and about 25% on education. In the US, we spend 25% on our housing, 2% on our education. Think who's gonna win long-term? Yeah, you can figure that out, we'll be right back. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Real Science Roberts. Let's shift gears back to America here. We are just talking about China a second ago and, um, you know, they're their move of to towards economic dominance and actually becoming a parent in the room in terms of restricting access to social media and video games that lead to to other societal problems as we experience here in the US just don't want to realize it yet and it's interesting i made a you know you when you make comments about this you get a lot of kickback from people on social media and it's it's like you're making my point for me <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it's funny yes we use social media in our business why because it's good business practice right helps us grow our business we're we're a capitalistic company we use social media to grow our business so yes but i, I got a question the other day on twitter saying i don't understand why you just post in the morning but you don't post anything in the afternoon I, i've responded back because i'm working I don't have time to sit there on Twitter all day tweeting with people who I don't even know, right? So it's important to keep this stuff in, in context. But home ownership, that's another interesting story here. Bloomberg recently had an opinion piece out 
stating something very interesting. They said, rising real estate prices are stoking fears that home ownership, long considered a core component of the American dream, is slipping out of reach for low and moderate income Americans. Okay, two things here. Problem with the problem with the initial premise of the entire article. Homeownership is not a core component of the American dream. Homeownership is the representation of the achievement of the American dream. There's two very different things. Bloomberg's idea is that in order to achieve the American dream, you have to own a home. That's not the case. Home ownership is the symbol, or whether it's the goal, ultimately, of achieving the American dream, which is creating a stable and producible income and position within society that allows you the ability to afford home ownership. It's a representation that you've achieved the American dream. The American dream isn't owning the home. That's an expense. But buying a piece of property and a house that sits on it is a representation that you can afford it. You've achieved the goal in society, which is to create an income and a position through the capitalistic process to allow you to afford to be a, to allow you to be able to afford that home ownership. Right? We've screwed all this up in the in the last thirty years. You know, there used to be, and this is why home ownership for a long time was very stable. You had to have 20% down. In order to have 20% down to buy a house, you had to save money. So you had to be fiscally responsible enough to save 20% of a down payment of a house. And if you can do that, then you can probably afford the monthly payment to buy the house and to maintain it, to pay the taxes, all the other things that go on with home ownership. But see, in, in this drive of just wanting to get more people into houses, well, this is where we started lowering lending standards and creating all these, you know, derivatives of mortgages where you don't actually have to have a In fact, you can get a mortgage today with no money down at all. And this is something that says the idea of home ownership is sleeping, slipping out of reach for low and moderate income Americans. Well, if you're a low income American, you probably shouldn't at this point be trying to buy a house. probably should be working on what we need to do to get you out of being a low-income earner into a higher-income earner. Moderate-income Americans probably should be able to afford to buy a house of moderate means. But the idea of a house of moderate means is no longer a $150,000 house. It's I've got to have a $350,000 house with four bedrooms, three baths, and a pool in the backyard. Desires, wants, and needs are vastly different than what requirements are. But this is so this is the idea of Bloomberg, though, is that after peaking at 69% in 2004, the home ownership rate has fallen every year until 2016. This is the idea that America should become a nation of renters because that's what's really affordable now. And this is an important step because when you start talking about this war on home ownership, look, BlackRock is going out, as an example, and buying thousands upon thousands of homes and turning them into rental properties. It's great business. Great business. 
I own a hard asset that's going to appreciate in value over time relative to inflation, creates an income stream. Why wouldn't you do it? Right. I've got I've got nine trillion dollars of capital to deal with. Why would I not take a big chunk of that and start buying hard assets like real estate and renting it out? And this idea of being a renter nation is becoming more appealing now because, well, I really can't afford to own, own a home. And, you know, so maybe I should just rent. But this is because of what we've done to the whole financial system over the last 20, 30 years. Trying to build a system that benefits Wall Street, benefits the mortgage companies, benefits the financial companies, but extracts the capital from the bottom end of society. So you wind up with this result. And so now to justify it, well, you should just be a, you should just rent a home. You shouldn't actually own it shouldn't own property. You know, it's an interesting function when you start taking a look back at history. England, Rome. These empires owned everything. They owned all the land. The serfs basically lived on the land and farmed it and then paid rent to the kingdom. To live there. At any point in time, the kingdom doesn't like what you're doing. They just came and killed you and took the property back. Now, I'm not saying we're going to that point, but that, that is the point of aristocracies, oligarchies. They own it all. You own nothing. And that's the trend of capitalism in society, you know, and look, and capitalism gets a bad rap. We've had plenty of conversations here on the show in, in recent you know, months talking about the demise of capitalism and what capitalism is. And, you know, capitalism gets a bad rap right now. Everybody's like, well, you know, capitalism is just, you know, robbing everybody, you know, the rich and the poor, and there's no opportunity. Really? You know, if capitalism doesn't work, then how is it that we're watching companies every day get formed and go public. Robin Hood just went public. That is the absolute pinnacle of capitalism. Two guys sit around, they create an app, they get a bunch of users, they go public and make billions of dollars. That's capitalism. Capitalism is alive and well and working just fine in America. What's not working is all the corporatism. And we're allowing that to happen. And we foster it, right? We foster it by decisions. There's nothing to do to change it. You know, if, if it's a pretty simple fix. If you want to solve a lot of the problems in society, get off Facebook. Get off Twitter, right? You won't do it because it's entertaining. It's convenient. If you don't like what Apple's doing or if you don't like what Google's doing, right? Stop using it. But you won't because it's convenient. So we can all sit around and we can all complain to each other. And what's funny is we all sit around and complain to each other on social media using Google products. And then we complain about those companies and what they're doing to America, right? <laughs> you know, we can all be hypocrites. It's just fine. But the consequences are coming and the, con the consequences are evident. And we're all running around. We're all angry. We're all you know, throwing our fist up in the air. And we're all claiming, you know, this is, uh, we're being oppressed or we're being this or we're being that or whatever. And it all comes back down to the very basic function that 
the majority of America is being robbed blind by those at the top. And we're okay with it because we like the, the, we like the, the convenience. It was interesting, uh, back in 2008, 2000, early 2008, early 2009, you may not remember, but there was a whole group of young millennials that went to New York City and they did Occupy Wall Street. Remember that? So here they are. They're all out in New York City. They're all protesting capitalism. The, the top 1%, the bottom 99%, and you know we need to get it back. And they're all sitting around, right, complaining about Apple. And how are they complaining about Apple? Well, they're all sitting there tweeting, Facebooking, et cetera, on their Apple products. <laughs> so Apple loved it. It was great for them. Here's another interesting story. If technology is so good for your kids, then why is it that Tim Cook and Bill Gates and those, those of that ilk don't allow their kids on social media or to have products. I want to think about that. Homeownership, it's not debt. It's still a great thing if you do it right. But the problem is, is that the decisions that we make financially are impacting the vast majority to the point that they're willing to become renters and give up their ability to have home ownership. Something to think about the trends in the economy today. When we come back, we'll talk about an article out this morning on Project Syndicate talking about the dangers of endless QE. Don't go away. Be right back. If I leave here tomorrow. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. guys on YouTube are cracking me up this morning with some of your comments. Uh, first of all, yes, this is a new shirt this morning because I actually have to go to work downtown today uh, <laughs> for a family office meeting. So um, outside of that, you normally, and the reason, and look, there's a reason that I wear the same shirt every day is because when, you know, holidays come up or, you know, if we happen to have a need for a show where I need to have a day off for one reason or another, like I get sick, which never happens, but just in case it did. Um, and when we stitch together a video, I have the same shirt on. So you don't know that it's all from different days, right? Also makes getting dressed in the morning a lot faster. <laughs> um, and yes, you're correct. You do have to have, <laughs> I'm sorry if I offended you saying you don't have to have an education or, uh, you know, or, or be productive to make YouTube videos. Because obviously we're sitting here making YouTube video as we speak. <laughs> so, yes, you're correct about that. So, but as, as Randall pointed out, yes, good videos. Well, this is this is the other thing, right? Yeah. Um, endless, there, there's a really great article out today on Project Syndicate. Um, if you get a chance, you might want to swing by and read it. I, I put it out on our Twitter account this morning. Um, so if you go by at Lance Roberts on Twitter, you, you can find the link there pretty quick. Um, 
it's by a gentleman from the Royal Bank of India and talking about the dangers of QE. And he makes a very important statement here. Now, you know, this this isn't just some guy. He was the governor of the Reserve. I said Royal Bank. Sorry, my apologies. Reserve Bank of India. He's a professor of finance at University of Chicago Booth School of Business. Um, so, I mean, not a dummy. He knows what's going on. He, he made a very interesting comment, though. He says, inflation reads in the United States have shot up in recent months. No kidding. Labor markets are extremely tight. In one recent survey, 46% of small business owners said they could not find workers to fill open jobs. A net 39% have re having re uh, increased their employees' compensation. Yet, at the time of this writing, the 10-year Treasury note is around 1.24%. Actually fell into below that number yesterday. Now, that's well below the 10-year break-even rate of 2.4%. And at the same time, you've got stock markets, you know, kind of flirting here at all-time highs. So he makes a very important statement. He says, something in all of this does not add up. And he's right. The bond market is suggesting, and they will likely be right, that economic growth will not be nearly as strong as people expect. And again, this should not be surprising, something we've talked about here on the show almost ad nauseum at this point, written multiple articles on it, um, kind of documenting our case over the last year, saying, hey, look, artificial stimulus does not create economic growth. It creates an artificial bump in the economy, and as soon as the stimulus goes away, the economy goes back to where it was. I mean, this this isn't rocket science, right? I mean, this this isn't some complicated math game. If I give you... You know, if, if you make $1,000 a week and I give you an extra $1,000 this week, you're going to spend $2,000 this week. So the economy is going to get a bump. But next week, you're going to go back to spending 1000 because that's all you've got. This isn't, this isn't hard math. Now, the problem that we've got, though, is that all the stimulus that we're giving people is debt. So we're, we're piling on debt, which is going to slow economic growth, because now when we have a dollar's worth of revenue that comes into the government from, quote unquote, productive activity, I've now got to take part of that dollar and just pay interest payments on it, which does not lead to productive outcomes which leaves me less money to reinvest back into the economy to, to create economic growth, right? More than 100 cents on every dollar of tax revenue. So we collect tax revenue, <clears throat> right? So we just went through tax season. We all paid our taxes or will pay our taxes um, here shortly. And all that tax revenue, every single dollar of it, is going to pay Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and interest on the debt. That's all it will cover. Everything else. What the government wants to do, infrastructure spending and this spending and that spending and this other spending, defense, education, energy department, national parks and wildlife, you name it. All that additional debt. Right now, uh, Janet Yellen just announced yesterday 
that she is going to have to engage in what they call emergency measures in order to keep the government funded because we're now at the debt ceiling limit and Congress now needs to raise the debt ceiling. Now, the debt ceiling, you know, a lot of people say, we just need to get rid of the debt ceiling. Well, no, we shouldn't, right? The debt ceiling has a purpose. It's like the limit on your credit card. When you get to the limit on your credit card, that should kind of ring to you a little bit that, hey, maybe you overspent a bit this month. Maybe you need to pay off the credit card first, and then if you want to charge some more, you can. But see, we don't do it that way. We just have this debt ceiling limit that is now, and since 2008, has been an absolute joke. We get to the debt ceiling limit. We go, well, let's just raise it. So... This is essentially a, a household that makes $4,000 a month and they've got a $10,000 you know, credit line and they run it up to $10,000 and the bank says, okay, we'll give you another $10,000. <laughs> what could go wrong, right? But again, that debt, and every time we increase that debt ceiling, that's more debt that we've got to pay interest on. And that detracts from economic growth. Cracks me up. People sit there and they, I, I publish these charts that show the correlation between interest rates and economic growth going back throughout history. 1947. There's about a 75% correlation between the rate of interest rates and, and the trend of economic growth. Combine that with the debt. There's still about a 75% correlation between Increasing in debt, interest rates, and slower economic growth. Now, that's not hard to figure out, but what cracks me up is people say, well, that's not causation. That's just, you know, that's just, you know, there's just, there's just correlation. That doesn't prove causation. Really? <laughs> Got almost 100 years worth of data? Sure. It's not causation. <laughs> But this is the problem, right? We don't want to admit what the problem is because if we admit what the problem is, then we got to solve the problem. And solving the problem becomes much more difficult. And to those who care about sound asset prices, now this is from the article. Fed Chair Jerome Powell's announcement last week that the economy had made progress towards the point where Fed might end their $120 billion a month bond buying program was good news. Phasing out QE is the first step towards monetary policy normalization, which itself is necessary to alleviate pressure on asset managers to produce impossible returns in a low-yield environment. That is an absolutely true statement. The problem is that as soon as you stop the $120 billion a month in QE, you're going to get a 30 to 40% decline in the financial markets because of excess valuations, and the Fed's going to be right back into juicing returns again because... They need the stock market to stay up to increase consumer confidence because if they don't, this very fragile balance between economic growth and financial markets and consumer psychology collapses in on itself very quickly. And they know this. This is a risk. And this is why every time we get a downturn in the markets, we have to go bail out the major banks who, for some reason, are completely financially sound, according to their stress test, which is why they're able to buy back shares and issue dividends, but every time we get in trouble, we have to bail them out again. So are they financially sound, or are they not? The problem for policymakers, as I said early on in the show this morning, is that what is keeping the economy going right now 
is all this excess liquidity being pushed into the system. And see, they're not creating economic growth with it. They're just trying to maintain economic growth. And that's a very different thing. Maintaining life, right? That is the function of life support. This is a terrible analogy, but it's as close as I can get to what's going on with the markets and the economy. Patient, terminally ill, in a hospital, on life support. No chance of recovery. Doctors give the poor news to the family. He says, look, he's never coming back. As long as he's on life support, he'll continue to maintain, function. Right? No brain activity, never coming back. No chance of curing him. Family has a terrible choice to make. Pull the plug or leave it on life support. That's the choice that the economy is in right now with the Fed. The Fed has to make a choice. Either pull the plug and the economy is going to drop and will begin the process ultimately of going through a deep recession and the beginning of a recovery cycle, or we can continue to maintain life support, make no progress, but maintain the status quo until the point that there is no option. Eventually, the body will expire regardless of life support. And that's the question that the Fed faces now. And this is the terrible choice that the Fed has to make about the economy to stop QE now and suffer the consequences, but allow the economy to actually go through its recovery process or continue to maintain the body until it expires of its own causes. Wraps up the show for today. Terrible note to end on. I apologize for that. But it's just where we are. Great article, though, on Project Syndicate. I encourage you to read it, uh, talking about QE and the effective outcomes on the website now, as well as our latest article talking about performance is a guarantee. It's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow. It's a rich man's world.